You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. This week on the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, it's author and counselor Zach Rhodes, but first, Kid Mental, let's go. Things ain't always gonna go our way, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And some battles will be yesterday, but today is for a new weekend. Choose your struggle, and don't worry about what they say, but you can always win when you choose your struggle. And you can bounce back just as Come on in, listening to just struggle. Hello and welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Great to be back with you all. I hope you enjoyed the last week's worth of shows. Uh, Monday's replay of Heather Wild Smith was as as I've t- uh, told you all it was going to be. So uh, I hope I hope you got a kick out of that. Uh, last Friday with Haley was one of those that I got some really amazing feedback from. Uh, thank you to everybody who reached out afterwards to say that, you know, she really uh, impressed you. And, and a couple of people said that, you know, they understood uh, dealing with anorexia in, in a different way. And those are the those are the responses I, I look I look for every week. So so thank you to the, to those people. And thank you to Haley for being so incredible. Uh, before we get into this week's show, a couple of uh, things here. Number one, it's the last week of the birthday fundraiser. As you're hearing this on Friday, Saturday, whenever, uh, the fundraiser ends on Sunday uh, with a live stream uh, or t- live Twitch. I don't know. I don't know what you kids are saying these days with the with the Twitch. Uh, but thank you to Spark Tabor of the Cookies for Breakfast podcast um, for, for hosting an event on, on Twitch on Sunday the 18th. Uh, to, to help us get over the goal. Uh, there's been some cool updates on that that I'm going to hold back now, and I'll talk about that uh, after this is all done. So, um, you know, definitely a huge, a huge thank you to everyone who has donated. Uh, thank you to everyone for the, for the birthday wishes. You know, this is, <laughs> it's nice. Like, I, I appreciate it. I'm not the kind of person who, like, uh, counted how many, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't even know. But, but, what I really appreciated, actually, were there a couple people who did things that I do, you know, so like uh, a couple of people sent me Venmo uh, with money to go get a drink on them to say, you know, because that's what I do every Friday. Um, and that was very nice. I, I appreciate that a couple people did sort of the the affirmation like posts. Uh, those are the things I really love The the people who are like, I see your work and I'm going to do it for you on your birthday. That was very sweet. I, I very much appreciated that. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday in Philadelphia, as as always. I got some traveling coming up uh, this week. As you're hearing this, I'm probably doing this right at this moment. Uh, this this Saturday, it's vir- virtually. I'm speaking at Podthon, uh, which is the conference I've been telling you all about. Uh, it's it's by and for people of color. I am one of only two white men speaking at the entire two day conference. I'm very touched and very excited to to be doing that. Um, my my session is on. It's called uh, Beyond Monetization: Podcasting for Good. So we'll be talking about the amazing things you can do with podcasts uh, that are not uh, money focused. So so really really excited about that. Actually, I went out for a walk to do some brainstorming um, for for something some stuff that my team and I are working on, and I get back. 
and there's a cop car uh, about halfway down our block. My my wife and I, our, our, our rented house is just past about halfway down this block. And, and the cop is a couple of houses up and he's walking and kind of peering into houses. And so at first I was like, <laughs> not going to do anything about that. Uh, going to go away from this awkward and terrifying situation of a cop looking in houses. Uh, went inside and then I went, you know what? No, like <laughs> this is a, a, a very um, diverse neighborhood. It's a very non-segregated neighborhood as the white guy who, you know, the, the chances of there being some kind of episode are less. Uh, I'm going to be the one that steps up and goes, what the fuck? So I went back outside and the, he was still doing this. He, he, he was still walking down houses, looking in them. And I said, hey, uh, what are you doing? And he looked up at me and was sort of taking it back at first and then went, well, well, I'm looking to see if houses on this side of the street, if, if you have a back alley. Couple things about that. Number one, we do have a back alley. You can't get to it though. It's blocked off on on all ends. It's overgrown. Uh, there's just no way to get back there without hopping over like ten foot tall fences. That's one thing. The other thing though uh, is you can't see it with like through the houses. Our houses are completely next to each other. There's no room to look between them. So he was like looking into houses, looking to see like if the back door led out to an alley, maybe it was all very weird. Uh, and so I said, no, we I mean, we do, but you can't get into it. And he went, oh, OK, yeah, that's what I thought. And then got back in his car and left. So that was a very weird interaction. Um, and uh, as I joked with our, our little neighborhood Facebook group, uh, it, when somebody on my block gets raided, this was our we knew it was coming moment. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so that has nothing to do with uh, who is the guest this week. But thank you for listening. Real quick, last thing before we go into this, this episode. This Wednesday is the next uh, a day in the life, and it's the last one for a little while. Uh, with the guest is Stamp Love. She's amazing. Uh, y'all, y'all love her. The reason it is the last one for a while is that I'm traveling, and then uh, we have uh, Rock Bottom Storytellers number three in the end of August, and so we obviously don't want to do any um, a day in the life too close to that. So uh, this will be the last one. I know I just restarted it, but it'll be the last one for uh, about a, six weeks or so. All right, without further ado, we're going to get into this this episode, which is with a guy that I really respect. His name is Zach Rhodes. Um, I discovered Zach through Filter Mag and now follow him on all social media, and, and that's how we got to know each other was through LinkedIn. But uh, he is a really incredible thinker around the issues of substance misuse, addiction, drug use, all that kind of stuff. You're going to love him. He does a fantastic job of uh, shouting out where people can follow him and, and kind of introducing you to his work on this show. So I don't have to spend that much time doing it, which is good because uh, this is a really long intro. All right. Without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Zach Rhodes. In June of 2021, I accomplished something that is all too rare for those with lived experience. I told my story and made my call for change from a TED stage. The fact is, our society puts too much emphasis on those with learned experience. You know, the person who spent 20 years researching something. And that's okay, because those voices are incredibly important. They provide the information that the rest of us run with. 
but we can't minimize the voice of those who've actually lived these experiences. That person doing research can't tell you what it really feels like to go through withdrawals, and they shouldn't want to. We need all voices at these tables. So if you're looking for someone who actually has lived these experiences, who can talk about struggling with mental health and substance misuse, who can talk about what it really feels like to go through addiction, who can speak eloquently about the war on drugs from both a learned and lived experience, reach out to me. And if you're looking to create a more complete experience, a round table or whole cadre of speakers, I can bring numerous people with me who have experiences that are unlike mine and unlike anything else that you've heard. So reach out to me today and let's create a complete learning experience for your office, your club, your school, or anywhere else, because these voices need to be heard and these lessons can create change today. Reach out and let's all choose our struggle. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, I'm Zach Rhodes. I work at the Life Process Program, which is a, let's call it a personal coaching program, but in the addiction realm, uh, it was created by Dr. Stanton Peel. He created it at Harvard at first. And then he moved it online so it's affordable and people can kind of do common sense coaching, therapeutic, cognitive behavioral work um, from the comfort of their own homes. So I help manage that program and I coach there. I'm an author. I wrote the book Outgrowing Addiction with Common Sense Instead of Disease Therapy. Um, I write for Filter Magazine and I host two podcasts. One is the Life Process Program podcast where I we give well, weekly, we sort of go through current events on addiction and try to make sense about it or see why other people aren't making sense about it. And I host a podcast called The Social Exchange, where I have people, it's a it's kind of a heterodox space where people can come on and give whatever ideas that, that are on the top of their mind or, or uh, that's complete their own work, even if the ideas are unpalatable in some sense or controversial in some sense. And I try to discuss those issues in a, some sort of a first principles, thoughtful way. So that's uh, maybe that'll be the, the scope that we go with today. <laughs> so my listeners know it's almost impossible to go an episode of this show without mentioning Filter Mag. Um, yeah, Will has yeah. been on the on the on the podcast and uh, ML and I actually are currently working on a book together. So uh, really, really a big fan of, oh, of great. Filter Mag. Um, and also, uh, Stanton Peel, actually, so this is the second time that he has been mentioned in about a month. Uh, Tim Harrington uh, is on, a, a sh actually, the episode that's dropping this week as we record this, and he was talking about how, how much he enjoys uh, Stanton Peel's work. So, you know, it, it, it is a, what's what's really interesting, so uh, D Jaffe was on this show a couple weeks ago, and uh, D and I go back a couple years, and, and we were talking how this community is growing, but it is so tight-knit that seriously, they're just, you know, the, 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 the cross lines on this show are every week it's like the same people being mentioned and and people related to this person is doing work and you know we really are sort of a growing but still small ish and mighty community those of us who who really care about um not just addiction and and, and recovery but but more uh sort of i would say the more progressive uh attitudes around addiction and recovery you no know what i think is that there's people who try to make 
good sense out of what's just going on in the world. And I know that we do it, th- you know, if we're in a harm, let's call ourselves a harm reduction kind of a community. And then we do it through a frame and a, and a certain filter. But at the same time, I feel like if you, if a person has thick skin and doesn't mind making sense, uh, even if that idea is going to hurt somebody's feelings or something, that's like really, um, that's marketable right now. So I think we run into each other a lot if we're trying to speak some somewhat true things about the world and about addiction and about personal development. You know, so that's that's such a great point. And we'll obviously we're going to get to your story here in a second, but I think that the the most uh, important thing that you just said, which is which is uh, something that comes up in this show a lot, is that. It's it's people who are are willing to push fact base and truth, right? It, it, it's it's not that you know there's not room for other ideas. It's that for the longest time, uh, facts have not been the the common denominator of the conversation around drug use, around uh, substance misuse and recovery. And so you're right. I mean, those of us who are kind of willing to question and promote things that are scientifically proven are, are you know, that actually come from a truthful place. Um, there is a lot of room for that because there, there wasn't a lot of those voices for a long time. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it's like, we're wrapped up in the stories that we tell ourselves. So, you know, we're, and to your point, and I guess we can leave this alone. I, there's just, a handful of people out there that are willing to, that are not willing to, but who are able to take what's real and turn that into a story about, you know, with nice prose and turn it into a story about uh, why we're facing what we face. And so, because stories are difficult to contend with, you know, who wants to listen to somebody listing facts or saying something boring or unclear when you can have a nice story that you know, kind of like holds up the wall. And and as they say, as I say on this all the time, you cannot hate up close. When you when you hear someone's <laughs> personal story, it really is easier to then understand where they're coming from and take what they're saying. And I think that is a great transition into you know nobody does this work. Uh, you don't just fall into this kind of work. So so what it, what is it that got Zach Rhodes to to where he is today? I don't even know really where I am today, but I can tell you a little bit about, <laughs> uh, I can tell you a little bit about my past. I mean, I've just, I come from a middle-class family. We moved a lot. So from, uh, we went from Maryland up to Vancouver, BC. Now I live in Vermont and, uh, you know, I've always been sort of a big idea person and always been able to teach myself concepts, but not you, not in the way that have generally been structured in schools. So I struggled in school and kind of floundered, struggled to kind of find an identity and it was kind of labeled all these things or told I was all these things, learning disabled or, you know, whatever. I developed an addiction over time. It was an easy way to, you know, doing drugs and getting in with a crowd that could accept me easily was just a easy way to wrap an identity around myself that, that made sense that I could actually control. And uh, then while most of my cohort was develop maturing into adults and doing normal things like having jobs, starting families. I was, I found myself lingering on the, uh, on my drug use and using that, trying to lean on drugs, my relationship with them to solve more problems than they possibly could. So I was in short, I would say I had a pretty serious heroin addiction for a long time. Even as I tried sort of was sort of trying to make something of myself, I did, I, a musician. So I did that. I toured a lot and 
Um, I worked with family. I worked with kids for a while in schools. And that I think is working in schools is something that kind of pulled me out of my own head because I worked with kids who had the same difficulties that I did. And it's sort of like I spoke the language um, and I was able to translate that language of distress that kids were going through who people who kids who had extremely challenging behavior and, uh, you know, teachers struggle with it to the teachers so that I could actually make some sort of a collaboration and communication. And eventually that was, that became purpose that my family, my community involvement became sort of purposeful for me. And I quit drugs on my own. I, I didn't even really quit drugs. I just stopped being addicted to drugs on my own over time. And as time went on and I became sort of a uh, more self-confident, I thought, well, I'll write a book about my experience because no one just quits drugs on their own. And as I was researching for this book, I realized most people quit addictions on their own. It's actually, that's the rule, not the exception, that most people grow out of their addictions, mature out of their addictions over time. And I thought, well, why? And the reasons are just so common sense that it's like not even worth writing a book about, except that it just flies in the face of all the all the other books out there about addiction that say, you know, there's a demon molecule that's addicting us. And um, you you may be the kind of person who doesn't get trapped by it, but you may be the kind of person who just can never escape it. And once you get into that mode, you're, you're diseased. So I couldn't help but to start, you know, researching, really thinking deeply in that space. One of the ways I did that was to start a podcast and talk to people um, who knew more than I did. Stanton Peel was one of them. And we we jibed so much that he actually asked, do you want to write a book with me? And so I junked my previous research and book and we just collaborated and we, we wrote a book together, Outgrowing Addiction. And it's become a passion for me since then. What I realized, and I'll, I'll bring it to a close here, but what I realized is that it's it was very likely, if you look at my past, I would bet on me to overcome an addiction. And the reasons were because I had some financial stability. Even when I couldn't create my own, I had resources. I had a loving family. I had a good community, a strong community. Um, I had, despite my opposing my own core values sometimes, I had a sense of values that I was able to recognize. I have some intelligence. And so I was really lucky in that respect. And when I started to think about, all right, well, most people outgrow their addictions, but for those who don't seem to, why is that? I mean, they lack those resources and they lack that ability to generate positive experiences in their lives. So I got really committed to trying to figure out how to make sense of how to really help people who are struggling the most. And, um, you know, that's that's gone from working schools, um, working with students in a refugee resettlement program, um, trying to interview people who are in difficult situations, either impoverished situations or in inner cities and things like that. And so, yeah, that's taken me to where I am today. And I try to write about it, podcast about it, coach people um, who are trying to go through their own personal development and, uh, you know, onward. So first off, I, that's such a great story. I, I really uh, identify with a lot of it. And I think that uh, how cool is it that sort of you, you got to meet someone, you know, obviously we all have these situations in our life where we meet people that we kind of look up to and those can go 
you know, good or bad. <laughs> and and you, mm-hmm. you got to, you, you got an experience where you met someone who was doing sort of work that you really admired in Stanton Peel. And, and, and not only did it go well, but it like went so well that you guys were like, Oh, we should do work together. Right. <laughs> right like, what a right, cool right. experience that is. <laughs> um, but before we actually talk about your work, you mentioned something, uh, I don't, there's not really a question here, but just a really important, I think, point to hit home and that is the the question or, or, or the, the the topic of identity, which is something that I think that a lot of people who struggle with misuse of a substance is a core part of their uh, sort of internal struggle is is who am I right? I mean that was one hundred percent a big piece of mine. And and as you sort of talked about it's more uh it, it, the, the this idea that that this this misuse is a part of your identity right and, and it and sort of makes me think of something that someone once said to me and i wish i could remember so i could credit them but like if, if somebody home brews and like is really into going on beer tastings and all that, we just call it a hobby. But if, if in prior to five years ago, if that was you with cannabis, we called you a drug addict or all these horrible things, even though that's not mm-hmm. true. And, and no. that identity piece is like, yeah, you know, it makes sense after a while if you're told this by society that you're going to embrace it as kind of a big fuck you to like, this is something that makes me happy. Why are you why are you putting me down? I'm, I'm just going to embrace this as part of my identity. And you hear that a lot with people who struggle with, with misuse or or just uh, use that is not accepted, that like they're, they're just there's this inability or this desire to not let society label them the way that the way that it does. That's like tier one of my work is to somehow get a pull our heads out of the sand and realize that whatever drug use is, it's it's just it's not some separate reality from the rest of reality. As drugs aren't, you know, the 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 relationship we form with drugs aren't some just like other weird meta universe. It's just plays by all the same rules of human behavior. And that Stanton really helped me understand that because he wrote the book Love and Addiction, 1975. He was in his 20s. He wrote this best-selling book. I think it sold a million copies by now. Um, and it, it was talking about he had a he had a friend in college who was basically pro-social and a good dude and whatever. And um, they were in Ivy League school, so he was well-connected. And then he got into this relationship with a woman and loved it so much and sort of stopped calling other friends and whatever. But then got so involved in this woman, and she didn't really want to be involved anymore. And he just chased that. Like, oh, I need you in my life. And it got to a point where it wasn't just like, hey, let's work this out because it's nice to be together. It was like, I need you and you have to be part of my life. It, you know what I mean? It wasn't like a reciprocal thing. And he chased that so much and boxed out all of the rest of life so much that um, he, that, that he wound up in a situation where she finally said, all right, I'm cutting this off. And he committed suicide. And Stanton said, you know what, Jesus if anything is addiction, this is. So he was talking about, it's not just a relationship to a drug, it's a relationship to a person, relationship to an involvement. Whatever involvement is so all-encompassing that you've dedicated your life to it and sort of narrowed your thinking to think that, well, there's no other way to generate just positive, you know, good experiences and outcomes in my life. That's an addiction. And anyone can face that. You know, in fact, most people on some 
if you think about it as a sliding scale, most uh, probably everybody has experienced that to some degree and they fall in and out of it and you don't really think much of it. It's just, you just call it kind of like growing pains, but some people get so involved in things that it's destructive to them. And that's, that's what like the drug, you know, faux, whatever, quasi drug policy, people, the disease model people hone in on. It's like, well, that happens with drugs. And our point here is, and I think yours too, is like, well, yeah, that happens with everything. So people use drugs to make themselves feel better. And most people don't get into problems with them as per Carl Hart in his new book. And, you know, for the people who do get into problems with them, it's not different than other kinds of life problems that you might call addictions. But we treat it so differently. That story is so obviously so sad, but so important. And and it is a point you're right that I kind of harp on a lot that I tell the story of of a good friend whose dad hasn't had a job in, I think you said like, couple of decades because he has a workout addiction where he works out three times Mm. a day and because of that he cannot hold a job and he's he's on public assistance and all this now we obviously can recognize that and go oh that is a problematic addiction right i mean by the dsm's definition it's causing you you know uh, disrupting your life that being said people don't consider that the same way as drugs are like oh he just really cares about his body no (laughs) no that's a problem but 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 we don't we are we we don't, as a society, confront that the same way we do. You know, we don't uh, demean him. We don't, uh, you know, put him down in the way that we do for drug users. So I, I love that point. And, and you're right. The sliding scale analogy is a really important one. Um, and, and and I do think, and, and tell me if you agree or disagree, but I do think that these sorts of points, these sorts of acknowledgments are getting more attention now than they were, even when uh, Peel wrote his book, you know, I, I mean, wow, that's going on, what, 45 years, 40 years? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a little crazy that that's that the, the 70s are that long ago. But, you know, I do think we're finally having these conversations, which is a little sad that it took this long because people like Santon Peel have been saying this for now going on 50 years. He and I had this conversation the other day where I was saying that, you know, some he has thoughts now that people push, even in the harm reduction space, will push against and you know, you can agree with them or disagree with them. And one prominent harm reduction person, Ethan Nadelman, who is Stanton's really good friend, I think they're having lunch or something. And he was saying, you know, you can't say this shit because, uh, you know, everybody thinks you're nuts for saying it. And I was saying to Stanton, if you take a if you take a snapshot of anywhere on your in your career path, someone always thinks you're nuts, you know, and then it's like you push forward a decade and then people sort of adopt the ideas. The problem I think is, so I'm optimistic, just like you said, I think people are starting to adopt some common sense ideas about what drugs are, what they aren't, what addiction is, what it isn't. Um, Or even, you know, there's a whole crowd that a whole group of people who might say like, well, don't even use the word addiction and just call it normal life. And so good. But I see that the problem is that as those concepts become adopted, they're sort of funneled into the standard boxes. Um, so, you know, you can't you can't take on a, a common sense thinking that's too radical that that upsets the apple cart. So, you know, things like um, even in the harm reduction space, I think people have certain ideas about how harm reduction works, but still invoke the disease model or, um, you know, limit the idea of human agency and. So I feel like there's still work to do. People who come into our program, the life process program, will often come in with preordained notions or, you know, notions about themselves that were placed on them, visited upon them that 
that, uh, you know, upon further, just slight inspection turn out not to be true. And then they get to, to tell their own stories. So anyway, all I'm saying is I'm optimistic and I'm, and I'm uh, still trying to work to make sense of things on my own and to, to the extent that I can to try to distribute that information. Well, and, and honestly, props to that because I, 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 you know, my listeners know that the only rule in this show is you cannot say my way is the only way, right? The, o- the word mm. only is where we get into problems. But, but people who come on and say, this is how I strongly believe, but to be completely honest, I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Like, those are the guests I love because that's who I am too. Like, I don't think that I have all the answers. In fact, I think I have very few answers. But I, I believe that there are a lot of incredible people doing amazing work. And I love that you brought up Carl Hart because obviously he's a guy who's actually like transcending this space and is becoming sort of a a person. I mean, he was on The Daily Show not long ago, right? And that's the kind of thing where I go, wow, like that could not have, you know, talk about a person who people think is crazy, right? And 10 years ago, that dude doesn't even get, you know, this sort of notice. And now he's sitting down on The Daily Show getting to talk about these ideas. So, So that is where I see progress, although I'm with you. The, the idea that you know, uh, you know, th- that we're anywhere close to to a uh, hanging up the mission accomplished banner, to use a tired analogy, uh, no, we're, we're we're we've got a long way to go. Um, right. Before we actually talk about your work, though, I do want to pause real quick and let you shout out where people can find you online, where they can follow you, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you could pro- find pretty much everything uh, at the Life Process Program website, which is lifeprocessprogram.com. I also host a podcast called The Social Exchange, um, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts or you know wherever you get podcasts. Hey, y'all. It's me, your host. I'm sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a fantastic episode of the podcast, but I have to give a quick shout out to my partner, Roadrunner CBD. They have been working with me for a while now, and I just love their products. They have everything from tinctures to muscle gels, and all of them are fantastic. You know, I rub the muscle gel on my legs before I run, and they keep me feeling pretty good, which is saying something. So check out Roadrunner today at their website, www.roadrunnercbd.com slash ref, R-E-F slash C-Y-S. Again, that's roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash C-Y-S. And use the code C-Y-S at checkout to let them know that I sent you and get 10% off. Trust me, you're going to love this. I've sent some of their products to a couple different people and they've all become repeat customers. So check it out today and don't forget to let them know that Choose Your Struggle sent you. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and Choose Your Struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So let's specifically talking about your work let's focus first on the book because uh it's a book that has gotten a lot of good uh publicity uh that is outgrowing addiction with you and stanton peel so so talk a little bit of i know you, you sort of talked about the process of writing it but how has the hmm. reception been how has that you know been for people who just do not agree with this concept whatsoever I mean, it's been incredibly positive, actually, the reception of the book. I've, I mean, we've gotten pushed back, and some people just think we're absolutely nuts. Some people would just glance at the title and say, any any book with the title, Outgrowing Addiction, if that's a concept, I'm, I'm not going to read it or take it seriously. But more or less, you know, the, the book was written for people in the helping profession. And, I and well, not even helping profession. People who want to help themselves, people who want to help their loved ones, people who want to help their clients. 
and you know we did our best to try to um my work in child development is i'm always seeing an outgrowth of certain kinds of problems and i am always seeing that there are limitations on the ways that we try to help people and we we have a standard sort of educational process that works for the people who it works for and it's not even clear who that is i mean they're high achievers who who can get good marks and then we say that works but sometimes those good marks don't lead to preparing people for life beyond school and then there are people who are obviously struggling and for those people um you know i'm always i'm always there trying to collaborate and help them and what stanton and i were trying to say together is that um if i could explain these developmental processes and how to help kids most people sign on the dotted line for that, especially parents, especially teachers. Teachers love when I come in and work with kids in their classroom because it means that, you know, they're they're about to figure out some way to communicate with this person and their class is going to run better. So once we can explain that, we go about halfway and say, okay, so, you know, this process that we just described that you're all kind of in agreement with, this is addiction. You know, so let's talk about adults and drugs and addiction and how they develop over time. People think developmental psychology means working with kids. Actually, it doesn't. A developmental psychology means throughout human development, throughout the lifespan. And, um, you know, there's no, there is sort of a chronological process to it. And there's also, you know, just the ways that humans uh, get into self-actualization, which is not always linear. So that that's our book, trying to make sense of addiction in a totally common sense way, as per the title. And, uh, and we do that without alarming too many people by relating it to child development and showing that this just goes on throughout the lifespan. That's such a, uh, I like that you keep using the word common sense. That's, that's, I can't, I can't think of a better way to, to describe it with, with your work. How important is it? Do you think how, how much more relatable does it make you that you have lived experience as well as your educational experience? You know, I don't know because I sort of debunk, the lived experience thing in my own writing. So I think it, I mean, it, it, it matters. It certainly matters because it, it, it definitely does. I mean, people who have experienced uh, some sort of addiction or even people who don't, who say, well, what do you know about addiction? At least I could say they can't call me an idiot on the basis if I don't know what it's like, you know? Uh, but in some ways I feel like it, it doesn't matter. You know, my wife is a, is a clinical supervisor for a, a huge umbrella mental health agency here and i remember she was trying she was getting into the field of addiction and she is the the most incredible helping person i know more than me absolutely for sure and she was worried well i've never had a drug addiction so maybe i won't be able to relate to these people and the thing is there's such um as at the same time as people are so complex and so unique and so different in all their different ways uh there's some just human elements that people that you can that you can uh, find common ground with in human beings. And the, the idea of struggling through some process and trying to branch out and expand life and move in a positive direction is so universal that I don't think I would like to get to the place where the fact that I use drugs is like the least interesting thing about my work at, in that space. So it, it, it's an interesting question. Cause I do, I do think I've gotten being able to use my, I, I was addicted once card in some ways. And that gets me out of a an argument in a shorthand, but but I'd like to expand on that. <laughs> but but yes, I, but even more than that is that you've walked some of these paths, right? And and that 
if I can say this, one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing that you've written on Medium is titled The Day I Left AA, which is such a powerful <laughs> story, you know, because it's not. And by the way, there are a lot of people who hear some of this work and, oh, you're bashing AA. And that's never the, the re, like the reality. It's more complex than that. And your story makes it very clear is that you were I mean, you were in the rooms, you were doing the work, but then you had some very honest questions. And, and, and you know, for the listeners definitely check out his medium and, and read the day I left AA. It's a very powerful story. But but that's the lived experience I think that's so important is that you can say like, you know, this isn't a sort of thing that I'm observing from the outside. I mean, you were sitting in the folding chairs. You were right there, you know, doing the steps. That is the, okay, so I take I think you're right about the thank first of all, thank you for the for giving me props on that. The it is true that if you have a personal story to tell you're at least an N of one, you can at least say, well, it's possible that a person could go through this kind of experience and come away with the ideas I have, because I'm one of the people. So now that we know that it is possible, let's think about how, you know, the different ways people could think about situations. And you're right. I'm not, I'm not here to bash AA in some ways, you know, I talked to um, uh, Johan Hari, who still, still, I think about this to this day when I asked him, well, you're not an AA guy, right? He's like, no, definitely not. And I said, well, you know, why don't you write more about AA and, and, and why you're not an AA guy? And he said, you know, I just wrote a book called Lost Connections. And in, a, in an era where the connection is absolutely needed more than ever before, how can you knock a place that people go and find each other and are able to form some group cohesion? So, you know, when someone says, I went to AA and it worked for me and it worked for these reasons, that's true for them. I mean, what can you say? You can't say, no, it didn't. Or, um, but if someone came to me and said, I'm try I have a problem. Should I go to AA? I might ask them, uh, what exactly they want to get out of it. And if there are other ways of, uh, you know, getting those benefits. That, that's such an important point. First off, obviously, uh, again, another book that almost doesn't make it a week without being mentioned here is chasing the scream by Johan Hari. <laughs> I mean, chasing the um, scream. Yeah. Great book. So important. Uh, and I actually saw him speak not long ago, and you're right, he sort of, um, uh, you know, to use a baseball term, he pulls off a little bit from, from the curveball. He doesn't, he doesn't really lean into that heavily. And what was so interesting was that this was actually through a, that I saw him speak, a, a, a old friend works at a treatment center that is AA based, and he was speaking to them. And that situation was so interesting to me, because if you read Chasing the Scream, it's almost impossible to not come away with that going, Oh, so AA like the success rates aren't that you know what I mean like so it was such a weird yeah. pairing, but but he really does not go hard into that. Um, but but it does give you and same with Johan uh, uh, that added credibility that you are like this isn't just something I've studied, but I've studied it and I've been there. Which I, I love the way you put it, sort of for the scientific community, the N one right. That's so important, and and, and <laughs> that's sort of where I, I come from when I talk about personal experience. It's not. You know, as a lot of people use their personal experience to say, oh, well, well, I know this works because it worked for me. Right. I mean, forget that. that. That's not that's not important. But to be like, I know this can work because I did yeah. that. That's that's exactly. that is the, the lived experience piece that is so important. And that's what I use when people come to I literally have had people say to me, oh, but you're not going to stay in recovery because you're not an AA. And it's like, uh, I mean, I'm 11 years in. I feel pretty good about this. Is it possible that it won't work? Yeah, of course it is. It's possible for anybody. But at the same time, I'm feeling pretty good about this right now. And it's that N1 piece that I think is really important. Yeah, exactly. 
So um, there's one thing, one other thing I'll mention, I'll, I'll let you lead me away from this soon, but um, I, I, I find myself in, in a constant dialectic in my mind between, um, you know, there is a, there is a kind of truth that no one's talking about because we're sort of all absorbed by the stories that we tell ourselves. And I want to get ahead of that. I do. I'm a progressive, like politically, I, I would, I think more or less, but I'm also, I feel like I want to be progressive in my ideas. And by that, I, I mean that even when my ideas don't settle well with people, if I know them to be true, or if I have sufficient evidence that I think people should be listening to it, or at least I should be starting this conversation, even if it goes against a current, I, I want to say it. And at the same time, I don't want to get like bitter and resentful that other people aren't listening to me. And so one person I think who does that well is Johan Hari. He just like, he takes what he knows to be true. He T turns them into like beautiful stories that people can relate to. He tries not to be too um, aggressive and, and push ideas on people. He tries to let them come to them on their own. And then I work with Stanton, who is sort of the opposite of that, who is like, he can, he can be pretty good. Like he has an exercise where he goes to a conference and says, well, um, what's the toughest addiction to quit? And everyone says smoking. And, you know, there's like a thousand people there and he'll say, all right, well, how many of you have quit smoking? And more than half of the people raise their hands that they've quit smoking. So he's like, well, you know, you just told me that ha more than half of you have quit the toughest addiction to quit. So you know, he's good at doing that kind of exercise where he gets people to think on their own. Oh, that's kind of different than how I think about things. Or says, uh, he'll say like, um, how many of you have ever used a painkiller before? And you know, everyone raises their hand and he'll say, how many of you are addicted? If any, there's like one or two. So he says, you know, we're talking about an opioid crisis, but all of you say that you've used a painkiller and one or two of you say that you've become addicted to one. And so, you know, he's good at getting people to think that way. At the same time, he is just tortured by the fact that he has called out this social psychological space for decades and people give him so much shit and push back against him so hard, you know, call him a pariah and treat him like one that, you know, he's, he's starting to get pissed off. And so I'm kind of floating back and forth between that space and trying to find my place and all of that. <laughs> you know, that that's gotta be hard for a guy like Stanton Peel, who's, who's been on the forefront of this for, I mean, I, literally decades and, and longer than I've been alive. And, and, you know, that is sort of a, um, a piece of being a progressive about anything is that at some point you kind of come to the terms with the fact that it's quite possible that we will never hit a good point while I'm alive. Right. I mean, that's part uh, of pushing yeah. this, this, uh, that's part of being progressive is that there really is no success. It's, it's, there's always more to push for and, and mm. coming to terms with that, I, you know, I guess ask me again in 30 years, what, what that's like. Right. Um, because right. that must be difficult. Uh, and you're right. There aren't a lot of uh, older people still able to keep fighting that way because it, they burn out. Um, and I think it is even more remarkable when those people who have been doing this their entire life are still fighting. Uh, so, so yeah, you know, I guess my, my point would be to good luck on that for you for being in that space too. Um, and, and, and I, I tip my hat to, to Stanton who's been, who's been that guy for so long. You know, I, the way I'm thinking about it now is there is no promised land. I don't want to live in some delusion that there's going to be an endpoint, like some utopia that's, that's getting, that's bordering on that ideological, you know, but at the same time, I, 
all I want is to feel more and more comfortable if it's possible getting myself into a space where I know that dialogue can happen. If that, ha if that can happen, if collaboration and dialogue and, and uh, you know, even debate can happen in good faith in the spaces that I'm in, then, then I'm happy. Well, that's, that's a really beautiful sentiment. I completely agree. I, um, yeah, I'm reminded of recently I had a conversation with someone who is an AA person, but very open, in fact, does a lot of work in the harm reduction community. And she and I were talking about sort of the newest frontier, which is here. We have medical cannabis here in Pennsylvania, and I have my card. And she is like, I don't know how to feel about this because I have people coming in to, to get into recovery for other substances, but they want to still use their medical card. And obviously, it's, it's medicine. I don't know how to say no to that. But, you know, I was taught that that's not okay. And I just very much appreciate her having that dialogue, being being willing to say, I don't know what's right here. And, and, and better than saying absolutely not being a closed door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, so I'm interested in this um, from your perspective. You know, you're talking about trying to end stigma or at least reduce stigma. And so part of the work that you do in this sort of like a helping profession um, it's almost like, how can you not just, okay. So Carl Hart, for an example, I mean, he sort of speaks on behalf of, he doesn't claim to or mean to necessarily, but he sort of speaks on behalf of, okay, well, there's like a poor white Appalachia who struggles. And then there's an inner city sort of black population who really struggles under the auspices of, you know, draconian kinds of drug laws. And he kind of speaks on behalf of those people. And, and I know he gets just passionate about people who are struggling and, it's one thing to struggle and, you know, need to be able to put yourself back together. It's another thing to struggle and the systems that be are making it more difficult for you to struggle. And so I, I don't know how not to get bent out of shape and, and ultra passionate about that when having those conversations. I haven't seen a, a good way to do it. You know, there's so many people who are just struggling and it's difficult to tell exactly what percentage of their potential well-being could be in their own hands and what potential could be a change in systems i'll tell you what man if you ever figure out a way to talk about that in a non uh you know sort of that passionate way you let me know because i struggle with that too <laughs> and, and yeah. i think that that's something that is is very common not it doesn't matter what your focus is if you see this as common sense and the the downside especially in this case is literally people dying it's hard not mm. to to have that passion right i mean this well, isn't this isn't like something where where um you know uh, if 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 the the some things don't change well it's just inconvenient and okay we you know we need to keep working on this like literally we're losing over a hundred thousand people a year and so it's hard not to feel that when you're like pushing for this like do you not see these I mean, that's that's the population of Topeka, Kansas, that is gone every single year in this country. It's hard not to feel that push when we're doing this work. Yeah, people have been because of the stories we tell. People have been put into archetypal uh, categories, and drugs have been put in an archetypal category as the villain. You know, and so, so it's like you're trying to tell people that look, if you look at the big picture, well, I, I said you, but I mean the collective you. I am trying to tell people that if you look at the big picture. If you made, if you had a more laissez-faire idea about drug use and allow people to procure drugs of their choice and and use them, um, and and at the same time, that's not going to fix everything. 
but if you did that and you started working on some of those obvious social and psychological issues that are out there, well, that would save lives immediately. Just just by virtue of it, you know, safe, clean supply would would save lives. People think, well, how can that be when drugs are the bad guy? Well, you're telling me people are dying of, dying of drug deaths. You want people to be able to use drugs, you know, more readily? No way. That's a, it's almost an impossible conversation to have. And yet I'm trying to have it <laughs> every single day. Yeah. 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 I gave a TED talk uh, three weeks ago. Uh, and oh, and cool. that was my point was um, I actually made the connection. So I led people through sort of the history of drug policy in the country and then connected it to prohibition because it was like, we've seen this before, right? Uh, for over a decade in this country, people were dying. People were getting busted, spending time in jail for alcohol. And now, mm -hmm. of course, we're like, oh, that was dumb. We're doing it every single day with drugs and then and we're labeling drugs the bad guy. So, uh, you know, that was the analogy I was making. But you're right. It, it to those of us who do this, there, you kind of hit a point where it becomes common sense. And it's hard to be like, why don't you understand this? Why don't you see how common sense this is? But this is something you and I could talk about for a while, but I do want to give yeah. one more shot for, for people to know if they're interested in working with you. If, if they're like, wow, okay, this is super cool. You know, how can somebody work with you uh, or, or what are you looking for in clients? Oh, I'm not looking for anything in particular in clients, but um, if people want to work on just personal development through a cognitive behavioral kind of lens and uh, be able to work online. So I do coaching at the Life Process Program. And that, that means we call it an addiction help program or a addiction recovery program. To be honest, that's more for Google Analytics than it is for, for, uh, for anything else. But any involvement that people are into that they feel is you know, putting a blemish on their lives somehow or being destructive in their lives, um, I try to help people work through that by talking about different dimensions of their lives and how they might be able to access resources and, and uh, set goals for themselves. One more time before we get to the final questions, though, now that people know sort of what how they can work with the incredible Zach Rhodes, how can people find you? <laughs> what is the way to, to do that? Straight up lifeprocessprogram.com. I'm on Twitter. My my Twitter handle is Rhodesoda, R-H-O-A-D-S-O-D-A. Sometimes people don't. I, my favorite thing is when like academics will retweet something. They'll say like, great article by at Rhodesoda. <laughs> anyway, um, or, uh, you know, I'm on like Facebook and, and LinkedIn and everything. But lifeprocessprogram.com, I'm trying to use as a hub to be able to contact me and find me. And uh, people who want to email if they have queries about um, about the program at Zach at lifeprocessprogram.com. Thanks for letting me plug that. Of course. And I'll put your, I'll put your website in the show notes um, as well as, you know, everybody, I, I have shared some of his stuff both on Twitter and LinkedIn. So you can find that there. Uh, so we always finish with the same two questions that the first of which is what self-care habits work for you? For me personally. And so do you mean, um, Self-care in general, you mean? Yes, sir. No no, no specifics. What what do you go to when you need some self-care? Hmm. Well, and it, broadly speaking, I, I like to follow. I'm not a Freudian guy, actually. I'm like, I don't like Freud. almost hate him with a passion. But he did have a pretty good, pretty good idea about what the meaning of life is. And he said to work and to love. So taking care of myself, generally speaking, I try to make sure that I'm keeping my eye on um, keeping my focus on things that are really purposeful for me and really meaningful work and to make sure that I'm keeping with family obligations and 
loving my family and keeping friends close. In a pinch, uh, I'm a musician. So I love just playing music, writing music. Um, and more recently, I've sort of, I put my money where my mouth is and I signed, this is going to be something I've kind of publicized soon, but I'm not done with it. I, I entered my own life process program with a coach in the program because over the pandemic, I became a fat ass. And so I, <laughs> so I started, you know, I was like, all right, well, how do I want to, I really, obviously I'm like staying up too late. I'm eating too much. I'm not exercising enough. This would be cool to just like, talk to someone about and, and I could just do my own program. And so I'm super into um, going to the gym. First thing I get up at four fifteen every morning and, and go to the gym now. So that's a, uh, that's a huge self. It sounds like, masochistic to some people, but I'm actually kind of a lark anyway. So going to the gym first thing is, is how I take care of myself. That's uh, incredible. That's very early in the morning. Also, I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to underscore that when he said that he subscribes to the, the Freud thinking it was to, to live and to work, not uh, doing enough cocaine to put down a horse. Uh, that is not, <laughs> right. that is and not, I <laughs> and I, not and good yeah, not for self-care. No. <laughs> exactly. And I, and I, and I hate the idea of repressed memories too. Uh, like, like, uh, well, what's your problem? Well, no, you think you know what your problem is, but let's dig out some kind of a memory for you. No, that's, and I, it probably comes it. down to wanting to sleep with one of your parents. And that's the, <laughs> right, that's, right. the that's the Freud thinking I'm with you. And I was, <laughs> so I, I have a degree in psychology and, and mm. in college, mm. of course, he is taught still, I mean, not, not like this is the end all be all the way it was probably 30, 40 years ago, but, but he's still taught a lot. And it's like, yeah. boy, we're going to get to a point where we realize just how problematic this guy was, you know? Uh, but we're not quite there yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how recently you graduated, but I, I think that you're right. It's like he's taught and he's even lauded, but at least I think there aren't really any clinical psychology tracks that they say use this Freudian model. So at least that maybe that's progress. Well, this was this was uh, nine years ago now. So, yeah, it's definitely possible that that we've moved even farther from from Freud than when I was a student. Uh, but I'm the last question I always finished with is, is we've now spent the last 45 minutes hearing how incredible you are and why we should all be following you on social <laughs> media, all your writing. Uh, but who I are some people? Uh, well, you, well, you should. <laughs> I mean, as I said, I very much enjoy our, you know, interacting with you online. But who are some people that you follow? That, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? Anything that you want to shout out before we finish? With respect to um, drugs and drug policy, I'm ever since speaking with Carl Hart, um, I, I follow him a lot. I love his work. I love his raw honesty. So Carl Hart, um, I mentioned Johan, Mark Lewis. There's uh, I met a new friend from South Africa named Sean Shelley, who maybe a lot of people know, but I've only recently met him. Sean Shelley is a drug policy guy who lives in South Africa, who is completely underrated. I mean, he should be, I guess he's not, he hasn't written any bestsellers or anything, but people should know who he is. So those are people like, I, I'm probably missing a ton right now, but I follow those people in the drug space. Um, oh, a, a, a psychologist friend near me is named Rick Barnett. And uh, he and I disagree. He's like an AA guy and I'm not, but we share so many ideas. And he's, like I said, he's able to have a dialogue with me so clearly and so respectfully that I can't help but follow him. Um, but it's, uh, so I host a pod, uh, sorry, answers are too long, but I host a podcast called the, the social exchange. And my idea there is to sort of generalize that principle of being able to have conversations about anything, as long as they're had in good faith. And uh, one of the people who's going to be coming on my podcast pretty soon is John McHorder, 
and uh, he's a linguist, a language professor at Columbia, and he talks a lot about race. And I don't think I agree with him on everything, um, but I, I would never want to debate him. So I'll give it a try when he comes on the show. So I've been actually following. He makes a lot of good sense about language. And so I follow him about just how to have a reasonable dialectic and conversation and all that stuff. Well, you, I, I'm very jealous. You got to interview two of the guys that are on my, my dream list, which is Carl Hart and Johan Hari. Uh, definitely respect the hell out of both of them for what, for their work. Um, for sure. And, 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 you know, I really, Zach, I got to say, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it, it, this was a, a really incredible conversation and I'm sure the listeners are going to love it. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. The Choose Your Struggle podcast has been so lucky to have numerous truly change-making authors on this show. From Adi Jaffe to Emily Dufton, we have been blessed by hearing them speak, and now it's time to grab their works. Now, you could go to Amazon if you wanted to shop online, but let's be honest, that's not the right choice. So I'm going to invite you to head over to my partner, Bookshop. If you go to bookshop.org slash shop slash CYS, again, that's bookshop.org slash shop slash CYS, you're going to find all of your favorite books and you're going to support the podcast in the process. But that's not even the best part. Bookshop has an incredible program that allows you to select your favorite mom and pop or neighborhood bookstore and they will give them some of the proceeds from your order. Now, living here in Philly, that's been a really hard choice because we have fantastic bookstores all over, but I selected Harriet's, which is a truly wonderful black-owned bookstore in Northern Philly. I love it. My wife loves it. We go there as much as we can. Honestly, why would you go anywhere else? So again, go check out Bookshop at bookshop.org shop CYS. You're going to find the book you're looking for. You're going to support your neighborhood bookstore, and you're going to support the podcast in the process. So check it out today and go ahead and buy that book you've been waiting for. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash choose your struggle. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Zach. I... I, I uh, so he, he tells the story on here about how he reached out to one of his heroes and that it actually went well. And, and you know, we hear so often the stories about how those interactions can go uh, incredibly poor. And, and not only was Stanton Peel like welcoming, he was like, hey, we should work together. Like, that's amazing. Right. I feel that way so often on this show. Uh, I get so rarely have interactions with people that I reach out to that is just a flat out bad interaction. You know, the worst that ever happens is someone says, you know, thank you so much. I'm just too busy right now. And that's great. I'm very okay with that because if I'm reaching out to them, it means I admire them and them being busy uh, with things that is going like, like in their work is wonderful. That is a, a huge positive, um, not a positive for the show. Obviously we miss having them as guests, but that's okay. 
So I just, I very much appreciate that. And Zach obviously was such a great example of this. It was so open and giving of his expertise and, and his time. So huge thank you to Zach. Your card this week, we're going to use the Mindful Reminders Pack. This is one of the newer ones. Uh, as a reminder, this is the 52 pra Powerful Practices for Teens and Adults by Chris Willard and Mitch Ablett. Here are the cards. All right. This one's called Mind Gym. Next time you work out, try it just you and your body. No screens or headphones. Watch your mind and listen to your body. Oof. I don't know, Chris and Mitch, that sounds really hard. Uh, I need a beat to, to work out. Uh, currently, as, as some of you know, uh, I've been training for a half marathon. Unfortunately, I revved up a little too quick and pulled a calf muscle. Um, actually, that wasn't the biggest deal. I mean, like it, it, it wasn't great. Um, but then I did something stupid and tried to rush it because of the tight time frame I had to get from, uh, you know, sort of 10, not even 10 K about five mile pace to 13 mile pace. Didn't, didn't leave myself nearly enough time. That's my own fault. Um, and aggravated it immediately after coming back. And now I'm on the shelf and I'm not going to make it for the half marathon that I signed up for, which is a shame. So, uh, that is unfortunate. Nothing, obviously, <laughs> uh, it does not dispute my, my love for the, uh, Roadrunner muscle gel. That is still incredible. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for them. Uh, but you know, I just went from, from, uh, not, not running the way that I should to, to pushing it too quickly. And so, uh, that is on me, but anyway, I could not imagine running without a beat. I need it to keep me going. But if you think you can try that card, oof, uh, go for it. So in honor of uh, not really that, but but sort of, um, I, I was I was witnessing not was <laughs> I was interacting with two different people this week who had really incredible posts. Uh, about switching up your your activities or your, your um, trying to get out of a rut and and uh, you know that really inspired me. So um, what your your good egg for this week is going to be is to break out of your routine just enough to f foster creativity, inspire uh, change um, in, in mindset, not not to blow everything up like we we sometimes do where we think, OK, you know, I'm, I'm not inspired. I need to go from all or nothing. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, OK, you know, normally you do this in the afternoon. Well, try it in the morning or, uh, you know, normally you go for a, work, a, a walk after work. OK, do it during the day. Just switch something up and see if it fosters creativity. I know for me, when I when I get stuck in a rut, that usually helps. If I do things in a different order or I try something new um, that isn't like so far out of left field, it can kind of you know shake things up a little bit, and that's what I need. So that's your good egg. Uh, try to bend but not break <laughs> uh, your your routine. And above all else, above all else, as always, be vulnerable. Show your empathy, spread your love, and choose your struggle.